And our body's always talking to us. Our culture tells us also not to pay attention to it. I mean, there used to be signs up in the gym that say uh, things that seem rather unintelligent to me at this point where it's like pain is weakness leaving the body. Hello and welcome to Think Fit, Be Fit podcast. My name is Jennifer Schwartz. I am the hostess and creator of this podcast network. I'm also the owner of Impact Your Fitness in Alexandria, Virginia. I'm a certified muscle activation techniques RX practitioner and a certified exercise physiologist. I'm also a published course author in lifestyle medicine. Thank you so much for being here today. This is the second episode of our new season. And by subscribing to this feed, you will actually receive a collection of shows. We have multiple segments to look at fitness at a deep level, to understand what really goes into it, what's really going on and be able to apply it to our everyday exercise. Think about it like this, seeing things from multiple perspectives and gaining a deeper understanding of how things really work will help you achieve greater fitness, health, and wellness. Think Fit Be Fit, the podcast you're listening to today, releases on Monday. We also have Fitness for Consumption that releases on Wednesday. And then our newest podcast, the Peach Pit Fitness Podcast will be a once a month special that will be critiquing popular fitness trends and really just putting them on the chopping block to say, does this really work? Can they really claim that? It's going to be a very colorful and fun show. My new co-host and I have a special knack for being able to break down exercise into mechanics, into possible benefits and potential negatives. So subscribe so you do not miss any of these episodes. The quality of the content is so high and I'm so proud to present it to you. Today's episode is with my colleague in Utah. His name is Jesse Wild. He was actually on our episode from last week. You can also catch him on Instagram at jessewild.ma. And that's spelled J-E-S-S-E, wild dot M-A. You can also find him on the web at the same address, jessewildma.com. And you'll want to be, you'll want to follow him after this, I promise. This is a deep, insightful conversation. It was, it reached me on a soul level and I am very grateful that I was able to be in this conversation and, of course, share it with you guys. So we really talk about this, these big concepts around greater health and ways to use the body as a bridge to both greater health and higher states of consciousness, which is something that we don't really think about when we are, are thinking about exercise and fitness, I do. And I think it is important uh, to be in tune with our body as we are elevating to our next best level, right? And defining what works for us and 
redefining it and trying new things. And so I'm saying all this because this episode is really about the unconscious mind. And fitness is such a conscious thing. It's like it's such a purposeful, intentional thing. So, of course, they don't get wrapped up in the same conversation often. So that's why this podcast episode is so special. Last thing before you get into the juicy and deep conversation with Jesse and I, I wanted to leave this quote in your brain before we start. And it's called The Art of Coaching, Effective Strategies for School Transformation. Yes, it's for teachers. And the author, her name is Elena Ag- Aguilar and the quote is we need to interrupt any stories that are not in alignment with what we're doing so sit with that for a second it's um I think it's a very practical thing to chew on before we get into this conversation and I'll just leave it at that in that I've witnessed so much incredible change with within people and within their um their relationship to the world and their relationship yeah. to their body. Yeah. And what what it always comes back down to is autonomy and sovereignty and ownership. Yeah, that's so, right. So yeah, and that was, you know, that and that headline of essentially my career and this podcast and wanting to invite you to be here is because you, we have a, we have this, you know, similar uh, career path in, in muscle activation techniques. Mm -hmm. And I saw that you have been integrating this with uh, neuro linguistic programming Mm -hmm. and even hypnosis Mm-hmm. So I would love to hear your experience about yeah. you know when you started integrating that and yeah I'll just leave it at that I'll I'll have tons of yeah, follow up questions cool. that's cool <laughs> yeah so so I um I'm gonna just start right back to the to the part of getting into muscle activation techniques and then how it evolved into doing some of the NLP uh, mental emotional release stuff and hypnosis stuff. Uh, so my MAT story is when in the late '90s I was teaching snowboarding, and I started popping this right shoulder out of its socket about five six times a week. I was subluxing it. Yeah, and so you know I was 19 at the time and. Uh, uh, 19 year old males, I apologize if any are listening, not known for excellent decision making. Yeah. And so I was popping the shoulder out of its socket all the time. It was my job to be out there teaching, but also I was out there playing and, you know, working on this, that, and the other thing and falling a lot. And it was kind of traumatic to that shoulder. So uh, I was studying exercise science at the University of Buffalo and with the intention of going into physical therapy. And uh, so I got to go to physical therapy. I hadn't had a physical therapy experience until up to this point. And so I went to physical therapy and it, it didn't do what I wanted it to. It didn't help my shoulder at all. Uh, so I went for a few months and they recommended I go see a surgeon. And the surgeon, in my opinion, was an excellent surgeon in the way that 
he did some imaging and he goes, you know, see this, 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 and this. He goes, all that stuff, all that stuff looks pretty normal. I'm like, okay, cool. What's wrong with my shoulder? He's like, you know, you you popped it out of its socket a bunch. You probably tore some stuff. There's probably some scar tissue brewing. Uh, there's a bunch of things that, you know, create this limitation. He goes, you do too many high-risk activities. You should wait to have surgery. Wait to have surgery. And then when, you know, like 10 years when you're 30, maybe consider this surgery. Well, the, there's lasers. And so lasers, I mean, you just hear the word lasers and all of a sudden you're turned on. I'm like, cool, laser surgery. <laughs> uh, they're like, we're going to shrink some stuff up. Your range of motion will stay uh, stuck, but it won't pop out of its socket anymore. So all through my 20s, I had to tie my right shoulder up, my right arm up to limit the range of motion so that it wouldn't pop out when I went snowboarding. And most of the time it worked. Most of the time it didn't pop out. Oh my God. I'm thinking about yeah. ankle braces and, and yeah. players right now. Yeah. Uh-huh. Anyways. Yeah. No, that, yeah, that, exactly. So, uh, so skip forward seven years, my shoulder still hasn't worked. I mean, it's, it's, this is part of my identity. Hi, my name's Jesse. I have a right shoulder. It doesn't work. And, uh, I had moved to park city and I saw a physical therapist who was going through the muscle activation program, muscle activation techniques. And, she took a look. I went to see her for my neck. Every time I tilt my head backward, my cervical spine, I get this burning sensation down the rest of my back. She took a look at my neck and she goes, you know, your neck seems okay. And I'm like, what is going on? I have my bachelor's degree in exercise science at this point. I can have a good conversation with her about anatomy, physiology, and biomechanics. And nothing she was saying to me made sense. But I'm like, I don't care whatever you do. Like, I just don't want my neck to burn anymore. And so she goes, I'm learning this new thing. You want to try it? I'm like, I don't care what we try. You're the boss. Do it. Let's <laughs> yeah. do it. She's doing all these weird things, moving me around, poking in these funny places. Um, the words don't make sense. And, and after an hour of poking around, my arm being frozen for seven years, she's like, raise your arm and see where it goes. And it went all the way above my head. I'm like, this is crazy. So I'm like, I need to know more. And I started in the muscle activation world because I was so stoked to find something that I didn't know about. I have a degree in this stuff and I don't know about it. I've never heard about it. And it seems to be life-changing. At the very least, it was life-changing for me. The more I looked into it, the more I heard more life-changing stories. I said, I want to be a life-changer. So I went through the program 2008 and started doing this stuff. And I'm like, cool, I've got these tools to change the world. I'm going to change people's <laughs> lives. I'm going to be a life changer now. Yeah. Sorry. And... I, I am amused because I know, I know where he's sitting. <laughs> this isn't actually that, it shouldn't be that funny to you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting nonetheless, yeah, right? Because yeah, yeah. I'm sure that there's many people who they're like, I need a life change. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've experienced this thing. I heard this story from professionals, from people who know, from people who spent a lot of time and energy and money studying the body, but they, there was a piece missing. It's not that they weren't uneducated they just were missing some part of the story that quite honestly probably weren't sure they were missing because we don't know that we don't know what we don't know Mm, story so i started doing this stuff and changing people's lives in ways that i'm like 
the guy comes to me, he was, I was in Buffalo at the time and he was coming down from Ontario, Canada. Uh, and, and his story was that he had uh, contracted spinal meningitis in the mid nineties do, uh, doing, uh, doing work with his church mission work with his church and he lost control of his body from about mid thoracic down uh they flew him back to toronto in the mid 90s he'd gotten full control but about from 2000 to 2010 he was just kind of doing a little downward thing and he came to me we're doing you know the intake experience and uh, what's going on? Oh, they did some imaging of my my spinal cord, and and it's just black from on the right side, from like mid thoracic down. Can you help me? And I'm like, I don't know, I don't I don't think so. But if you want to try, let's try. And he would walk around with these arm crushes. By the time we were done walk, uh, doing some work with him, he he got better. He didn't need the arm crutches. He wasn't gonna you know try out for the Olympics, but he got better. He used to have to have the arm crutches. He used to have to use his arm to pick up his legs, to put on his pants, to get in the tub. Uh, But now he could walk up to the pulpit in church without the arm crutches and speak. I'm like, Mm. wow, this is cool. This is life-changing. Bunch of stories like that. Mm -hmm. But I kept on coming up with people who were, there was a part of the story that I was missing. Mm. And I'm like, this stuff should be changing your life and it isn't life changing yet what's going Mm -hmm. on over enough time of seeing this and recognizing and we learn in right from day one uh learning this muscle activation techniques process that the reason muscles shut off ever is because of kind of one thing it's because of stress and there's some subsets of stress right so there's it could be physical maybe it's the reason somebody can run a mile but they can't run a marathon muscular fatigue sets in aka muscular inhibition there's a physical stress that keeps them their muscles from working optimally or maybe there's some kind of an injury and your body's like we shouldn't be putting force and tension through these tissues that are trying to heal Uh, let's down regulate some muscles so as to allow or create a better environment for healing cool also chemical stresses chemical stresses seem to do it uh, muscular weakness is a potential side effect on every medication i've seen personally in my office where it happens with supplements and uh personal stories of food affecting the um the integrity of the neuromuscular system the functionality of the neuromuscular system and those two seemed a little bit easier f- to work with it's like okay well uh things start to shut down when you get to mile five but they're good at mile three. Okay, cool. Let's run a little bit less for a little bit while we build up the integrity of your neuromuscular system. Oh, this supplement seems to negatively impact you. Stop having that supplement. That's an easy fix. There was one that seemed to be overwhelmingly uh, difficult for me to manage, and I didn't really know how to help people manage it in any way or who to send them to. And that stress is emotional stress, mental and emotional stress. See people who I'm like, wow, if this is true, that mental emotional stress can impact the functionality of my neuromuscular system, it totally makes sense that they're always shut down. And for years, I didn't know what to do, what to tell anybody. And uh, after enough time seeing it and building up some rapport, there was a particular client. She too had right shoulder issues. She had right shoulder pain for about six or seven years. And so uh, I said to her at some point, hey, 
this stuff that we're doing should be working much better than it is. And this is what I've noticed when similar things come up in the past. We've had a lot of time together and you've got some mental emotional things going on. If you're going to get resolved to this pain that myself nor anybody else, and she'd seen every kind of practitioner under the sun, nobody had been able to help. If you're going to find the solution to this problem, I think it's going to be in your something with your mental emotional past. And uh, she received it well. I was like, cool. Uh, about 10 months after that, she reached out, said, hey, I want to tell you about my shoulder. I'm like, cool. What's up with your shoulder? She goes, it feels good. Pain's gone. I'm like, oh, yeah how that happened. And she goes, I saw this person who does uh, neuro-linguistic programming, and we did some work to find the root of it. I'm like, cool, tell me about it. So there's some hypnosis involved with her personal story too. And I wasn't there, but the story I get from her is that they end up trying to root into her unconscious and find the cause of this problem. And so when they're approaching this, he goes, you know, wh where's the root? She goes, you know, I see myself in a courtroom. I go, okay. He goes, who, who else is there? She goes, my brother's there. And so at this point, an important side note is that she'd been in a legal battle against her brother, having to do with her disabled mother's well-being for about six, seven years. Mm. And he goes, if your brother had a hook and he threw it at you, where would it land? She goes, it'd land right here on my shoulder. He goes, it's okay. I want you to go ahead and imagine taking the hook out of your shoulder. Go ahead and remove that thing. She goes, Jesse, I thought this was going to be a little tiny hook. It was massive. And granted, she's just doing imagination work. She's picturing herself mm -hmm. in this courtroom with her brother. And um, practitioner goes, okay, I want you to throw the hook away. She goes, can I throw it at my brother? He's like, yeah, sure. Throw it at your brother. They do some other work, yada, yada, yada. After an hour, of her having seven year long shoulder pain that nobody can fix, it's gone. And the reason nobody was able to fix this thing is because they were looking physically for an emotional problem that was presenting itself symptomatically, physically. Mm. So I needed to learn more. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, that's amazing because so I've been in, I've been in the position of trying to help someone and sensing their uh, hopelessness with their pain and their joint yeah. and seeing that they're burnt out as well on, you know, the various many things we can get burnt out on, including yeah. the whole injury rehab cycle. Yes, it's, it's, it's a whole stress disorder within itself. So and much. as we start to see more autoimmune conditions, yeah. I think it, they're, it's in the same category. It's like, the, you know, you, you go to the doctor and you're being told that it, it's not this, it's not this, and this number doesn't match this number. And mm -hmm. the person is just invisibly, you know, kind of suffering. And yeah. So I, you know, sensing those things and, um, you know, not being able to get in there myself when I'm so used to using my hands and helping mm -hmm. people and, you know, helping them, um, renew something and, and move better and feel better within, you know, 40, 50 minutes, 
Yeah. And then not being able to fish that thing out is yeah. frustrating. So I'm so excited that you're getting into this and, getting into <laughs> and you it. are there. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, uh it's attacking it's having a you know a fire show up somebody's house is burning down and it's like well which fire truck should we use oh my god that's great right? yes it's like no let's call all of them and let's have them all put the thing out right yes. uh we don't need to choose one or the other they're all important um our unconscious mind is so dramatically the root of everything it's the root of everything. And so the world of psychology agrees on this. And the numbers vary a little bit, but they're all kind of similar. And so they say something to the effect of 90% of your existence, some places say 90, some places say 95, some places say 99%. But somewhere in the 90% range of your existence, you're completely unaware of. You have no idea why you do any of the things you do. You just happen to do them. Your whole life is unconscious and it's based on so many factors, but it's based on, I mean, if simple things we, we know of is unconscious, uh, what's your respiratory rate right now? If somebody came up behind you and frightened you, what would your respiratory rate be then? It's going to become a lot more frequent and shallow. Your heart rate's going to go up. Uh, your skin might turn pale. Uh, but if you're up on stage in front of somebody, somebody embarrassed you, your skin's going to turn red. If you're talking to somebody who uh, you happen to like or find attractive, your pupils are going to dilate. You didn't choose to make any of these things happen. They're physiological responses. When there's something that happens to bring joy to your life. You didn't necessarily happen to choose to have that thing bring joy to your life. It just does. So you do it more. Movies are scary. If I'm standing on a cliff on my skis or snowboard in one of the ski resorts here, uh, I'm super excited. Mm -hmm. Many other people are going to be anxious, <laughs> yeah. right? But there's just a feeling that comes that we didn't choose. It just happens. Mm. Our unconscious controls everything in our life. And I was trying to look up the numbers for this, uh, this morning and they're, they're, they're always a little bit different from one another, kind of like the 90, uh, is, is it 90% of you that's conscious mm -hmm. and, uh, or unconscious and 10% is conscious? Is it 95 that's unconscious and 5% or whatever it is? They're all about similar. So the numbers kind of look like this. Our ability for our unconscious to process bits of information per second is apparently about 11 million bits of information per second for our unconscious mind. Mm. Our conscious mind, the numbers look something like 40 to like 130 wow. bits of information per second. Well, I got to get only, in there. <laughs> we got to get in there. It's the only place to like create massive change. It's the quickest place to create massive change. And it's tough to do on our own because we have an inherent sense of unawareness. The only thing that we're aware of that's what we call conscious. Mm. So we're massively unaware of most of what it is that we do and why. So there are some people, there are some guys in the 70s um, 
and they wanted to know a little bit more about how and why people work. Their names are uh, Richard Bandler and John Grinder. And these are the founders of NLP. And NLP is just neuro-linguistic programming. Uh, they're talking about like our nervous system. How does that work and operate to control all the rest of our systems to establish feelings and emotions or create patterns or behaviors? And uh, so what they did was um, they weren't necessarily psychologists themselves, but they went around and found some people people who were able to work exceptionally well with people. So somebody who maybe is an exceptional hypnotist, they can get results that nobody else can. Somebody who's like a licensed um, family counselor, they're getting results that nobody else can. They go to these people, they go, how do you do what you do? And like, you know, many people who are excellent at what they do have no idea how they do it. And these people have the same. It's like, how do you do what you do? They got to know. Do you mind if we uh, try and find out how? Can we model you a little bit? We, we want to find out what you do so we can help other people. And so they just went around and found other people who did stuff really well. They modeled what they did really well and found out how to make it uh, predictable and reproducible for other people. Does any of this sound familiar? Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So are you referring, are they, re, are they studying people that like know a map really well or like work in the no, technician? No, they're specifically looking at like specific like hypnotherapists, specific okay. like psychologists. And they're okay. seeing how do you get results when other people's results seem to be, you know, across the board. Got you it. Always That's where we're at. We're in, we're in, we're in that circle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, so they did that. And, and through the process of trial error, error experimentation, they found out really well how to help somebody get into the level of subconscious uh, and reprogram, if you will, uh, the way I like to think about how our bodies operate is really just that we are organic computers that run programs uh, based on our life experiences, based on what our DNA told us to do. Uh, there's many instances when we come into the world uh, pre-existing uh, with more sensitivity to stress and fear, others mm -hmm. less. And those, uh, what we come into the world with definitely ends up getting exacerbated by our life experiences and what we find works or doesn't work. Also, what we found works to help us get by and survive at age two or three. When we're talking about things happening in our life at age two or three, we're really talking about um, maybe we're talking about our interaction with our parents. Mm -hmm. Our interaction with our parents is massively important at age two or three. Because what we're talking about is survival. Mm -hmm. These people, we need to survive. Two and three-year-olds can't survive on their own. They need somebody to take care of them. So we need to make sure that we're doing things that are in accordance with uh, getting what we need, getting our needs met in life from these people in order to survive. So we learn patterns and behaviors at this early age. And then that doesn't necessarily serve us, though, when we're like 32 or 33. And so if we find ourselves running these patterns or these uh, loops that aren't helpful, every time somebody says something, I have this overwhelming reaction. It's like, okay, is it actually that what they said, the reaction was warranted, or is it a little bit excessive? It's a, if it's a little bit excessive, we have something excessive in our emotional suitcase, our emotional mm -hmm. bag. And uh, if we know how 
the system gets programmed, we can easily and effortlessly go in, have somebody go in, reprogram the way they experience something. So it's not like they're going to forget a memory. It's not as though they're going to forget some kind of moment that happened in the past, but we'll remove the emotional charge on it. And I don't know who said this. Somebody said it at some point that having a memory without emotion is actually just wisdom because it means that we learned the lesson. If we're still feeling this massive emotional charge to something in our past, it means that there's still something yet to be learned. And it happens at the level of unconscious, all of this. Uh, and if we just talk about it repeatedly all the time at the conscious level, we're missing something really significant. It's something in the unconscious and almost all of our existence is unconscious. Wow. Uh... Ooh, that was so great for me uh, on the on the listening on the receiving end Good. you know um to be able to sift through um the possibilities yeah of our existence is such a privilege so yes awesome. yeah thank you of course um, and then you know i had a couple things come up for me one is how does this relate to fitness? Yeah, perfect. It relates to our physical wellness. We hold, um, I'm going to start here. What we're oftentimes taught uh, in our earliest years is that it's not okay to be us. So we're two, three, we're just brand new to the world. We're learning how to be. We have these feelings and emotions that come from someplace in our unconscious. We don't know about them. We don't understand them. Uh, and we happen to be out to dinner. We start crying. And we're told not to do that because it's socially unacceptable. So then what we're taught then at that early, early age is that it's not okay to be who we are. And that in order to be accepted in society, we need to repress a lot of our feelings. We need to repress a lot of our emotions. We maybe need to repress a lot of our thoughts. When we repress this stuff time and time again, uh, it doesn't get processed. It doesn't go through a process of, uh, okay, interpretation, this is what it means, here's the lesson I'm supposed to learn, and then it leaves. We bury it somewhere inside. We bury it somewhere inside, and it ends up presenting to us um, in a way where we can't not look at it over time. We get really good at not paying attention. It's continually building, building up. We keep on putting it into this, like, essentially, like, emotional dump somewhere in our body, and the dump starts overflowing, and our body's always talking to us. Our culture tells us also not to pay attention to it. I mean, there used to be signs up in the gym that say uh, things that seem rather unintelligent to me at this point, where it's like pain is weakness leaving the body. Uh-uh. Pain is a sign that something's wrong and needs to be addressed. It's a warning. It's a, some kind of a, a signal that we need to pay attention. And so it's constantly talking to us. And at some point, it starts screaming at us. When we feel pain, that's our body screaming at us. And all pain is actually created in the brain. Somebody goes to the doctor and they can't figure it out. They go, it's in your head. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, to, to say this kindly, all pain is literally created in the brain, right? Because mm -hmm. if I press down on my arm with my finger, 10 pounds of force, 
it feels like pressure, but it doesn't feel like pain. But if I tape a, a pin to my finger and push down with 10 pounds of force, now my body's going to interpret that pressure as pain. It's just an interpretation. Uh, in the same way that if I broke my leg, it's going to create emotional pain. Having emotional pain equally can create physical pain. Mm. It's a common thing for somebody to say, oh, when I get stressed out, my shoulders, it gets so tight and painful. Maybe it even gets to the point of like so much tension, it creates migraines, right? I'm like, oh, you're so close. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah. can get there. So close. <laughs> yes. Then, but this, this, the emotional pain is real and they feel like they're carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders mm-hmm. is how they'll oftentimes describe their emotional stresses. We have an emotional body. We have a physical body, but they're so intimately intertwined that you really can't separate the two. It turns out that much of the physical discomfort people feel is them talking to themselves creating some kind of a warning, creating some kind of a signal. It's their own body screaming at them to pay attention to themselves. And this is the only way they're going to pay attention. Without this pain, their body, it can't talk loud enough. They're just Mm -hmm. not listening. And it gets them to the point where it's like, okay, cool. You're not going to listen. We're going to force you to listen. And so Mm -hmm. that mental, emotional stress actually ends up then creating physical discomfort. Yeah. It's like you're putting your body in detention over and over again for no real reason. You know, That's you're right. just putting it in the spot and, and yeah. you know, it, you know, acting out is just like a nat, it's like a yeah. natural thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and we're forced to repress it all because we need mm. to be socially acceptable. Yeah. That's not what we do. That's not what we do. Yeah. And so these emotions get trapped. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, uh, for any of your listeners who've experienced muscle activation techniques, there's a story uh, that muscle activation techniques doesn't seem to back up with what the rest of the world tells us. And that's a story about muscular weakness and strength. That's a story about how long does it take to get a muscle to be strong? And the story that we're told is, you know, weeks to months, if not longer. But we see changes in an instant. Somebody goes from not being able to engage a muscle. uh, The signal isn't traveling through the nervous system, making it to that muscle fiber, telling it to contract. And instantly, there's a change. Uh, The how long does it take to go through and do a test, activate the muscle? 12, 15 seconds, yeah. Takes almost no time at all. Mm -hmm. So just like that, it's almost as easy and effortless to remove emotional charge on things from our past. If you know how to have a conversation with the unconscious, if you know how the nervous system works to formulate memories and attach emotions to it, uh, having a simple understanding of these things, you can have repressed uh, emotions of anger, fear, sadness, hurt, guilt, embarrassment, betrayal, just utterly disappear in a matter of a few minutes, which the whole psychology world, uh, probably there's maybe an unawareness of that. Uh, mm-hmm. But they I'm sure would find in disbelief, 
just as many of the people who work with physical bodies in the world would hear a muscle activation story uh, and hear it in disbelief. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of simple. It's kind of easy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've experienced it um, as, you know, as an MAT client um, dealing with uh, multiple traumas to my uh one of my legs yeah and you know is it you know i was probably like a specialist for four or five years at this point and i hurt my left knee and it was wrapped up within getting treated and a muscle activation technique was is a very personal thing to me um especially back then it was part of my identity mm-hmm. and that i thought i couldn't get hurt yeah and I learned a long story short, I learned the hard way that you still can get hurt and that, you know, external forces, um, matter, you know, context matters of all the things that we do and with to our body and with our body. And so part of my process, I still, I was still a client of muscle activation techniques. I was still a practitioner. It did make me question a lot of things about the technique that I came back to with a full, um, I want to say with so much confidence Mm -hmm. and being able to remove myself from bias. Mm -hmm. You know, I got angry enough to take myself out, remove my bias and come back to it. Yes, And, you know, it is my full time my full-time gig podcast world. If you could change that, I'd be happy. um, (laughs) And, you know, I came back to it with such a full heart. And, but a part of that process was a deep dive into the unconscious for me. Yes, yes. And what that looked like was revisiting um, feelings uh, of, hmm, feelings of vulnerability feelings mm-hmm. of it does you know the words don't matter as much as i felt them and yes. that helped me heal yes you know and that's right that, yes. yeah and it was it was i did i even worked within you know past life wisdom and yes what you know whatever i would call that um maybe a a, a contract that i was energetically wrapped up and didn't have conscious knowledge that I was acting within that. um, I was reacting with that knowledge and not choosing action based on a healing paradigm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's exactly it. So there's, so we all have repressed emotional excess I call it baggage. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we have this repressed emotional stuff that when there's a feeling, there's an experience, it's kind of like there's a, an unhealed wound somewhere. It's an emotional wound. And we don't know where it is. We don't necessarily know when to expect it. But what we know is sometimes somebody finds it. It's like they stick their finger, like look at they're like a toddler with a hole. Like, look at this thing. Let's stick our finger in that hole and see what happens. And you respond like, what the fuck? Like that hurts, stop doing that to me, right? And so that's what the emotional baggage creates on some memory. 
And if we have a way of going in and maybe learning a lesson, but removing the emotional charge on that event. So now it's just an event that happened. It's not like we get rid of the, it's not we stop feeling. We don't stop feeling fear, anger, hurt, guilt, disappointment, whatever. We can still feel those things in the future. And, uh, you know, our future relationships will help remind us of that. But there's no uh, point or benefit in having that, having us perpetually pay for something in the past. So when we can identify what those emotional wounds are and heal them, and they can heal really, really quickly within a matter of a few minutes, we can mm -hmm. remove. Now, when somebody comes over and they start poking us where that wound is, start paying attention to them. We're like, hey, what do you need? You need some chocolate milk? You need a hug? What do you want? Uh, but there's no emotional charge there anymore. So the memory is still there. But we're able to experience what that was with more clarity. The fog gets lifted. Uh, and the trouble is that without recognizing that we have these unprocessed emotions from our past, and we all have them because uh, childhood, we're learning how to be on a place that we've never been before. There's going to be things that we interpret as, as troublesome, as um, traumatic. And if we don't do something to release and resolve that unsolved emotional baggage, we carry it with us. Every time we have a goal, we're going to carry with it at an unconscious level. We don't have an awareness of it. The desire to not be hurt. Mm, the desire not. Mm, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm thinking of like a, a real um, life example that, I, you know, I was, I was a, I was on the, I, it was a client that was very, is very athletic mm -hmm. and felt she absolutely had to do Olympic lifting, mm -hmm. that it was a part of her identity to do this lifting. And if she didn't, she would like lose her, her, beautiful muscle mass. And mm -hmm. there, there was just like this fear of her health, not sticking around. Not that, yeah. <laughs> not that, uh, at this point I would identify, identify her as the, um, a, a gold seal, a gold, uh, a, an example of health because uh -huh. of this attitude and identity wrapped up into a sport that she was using as a means to improve her body. Yes. And the removal of the identity, um, which came with the removal of the lifting technique yes. as well, for a little bit, I think was a massive catalyst for her. Of course. And I really don't know if she's in into lifting now. I, I, I don't have the follow-up information. Sure, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, but I supported her through that walking through that and yes. helping her with their injuries and then yeah. redefining what she believed, which the belief of what her body needs. The belief, what's the value system, right? What does this mean to me in order to be able to do this activity or do this activity at this level or be the best person who does this activity? How do I derive value and a sense of self-worth from it? And what is that sufficing? Well, it might be like perpetually putting a Band-Aid on the wound. 
Mm. It's not actually helping to heal the wound. In fact, like it, it kind of puts a, a cover of it so, so that you don't notice it. And in that way, it, the wound actually grows and festers. It becomes more intense. And now as time goes on, little things become more and more significant and the hurt becomes more and more intense. And our response to people poking at us becomes dramatically more such that the response it, it it's far more dramatic than what's appropriate. Mm. If we feel something, if we recognize ourselves acting out or responding to something more intensely than is really appropriate, uh, it's a clear indication that we have some unresolved baggage relative to that issue. Mm. Emotional baggage. Um, yeah, emotional baggage. That's the, yeah. the that's one of the keywords today. Yeah. Um, I think we have to wrap this up. Yes. Um, yes. But this is a good conversation. Can, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, um, the, I have one more thing to ask you about. And, but yeah. before that, I, um, you know, like these podcast uh, conversations, you know, are a, just a chance for me to feel connection and, and I feel heard today for sure, yeah, because good. I've, cool. you know, um, I experience emotional, um, emotional reactions and stress with so many of my client interactions, not that it's bad. It's like the weight of the healer in a way. Yes. Like, and so right. me having this conversation and listening and, and connecting is a way for me to absorb and move through things and continue to heal. And, you know, not, I can't, I, I have learned the hard way not to harbor too many of those emotional <laughs> um, events that I have with my clients. I had one yesterday and um, nothing, it, it, you know, he is in a really good place. Um, that's not, neither here nor there. So I don't want to say yeah. ahead. Like, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't blow anybody up. Guys. There was something, <laughs> there was something yeah. that you felt, there's something that you heard, something in the experience, something in the, in the exchange that hit at a wound somewhere mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. like oh somebody sprinkled a little bit of salt in it you didn't even know it was going to happen but it happened mm. um so just one like a, a whatever how many comments you want to make yeah how what is the importance of taking the good with the bad yeah in your in this it's process everything. that you're sharing it's everything so uh we spend a lot of time uh societally again desiring certain emotions and avoiding others. They're all good. Every emotion is just your body communicating with you, talking to you about what you're doing with your limited time on earth. You're here for a limited amount of time. There's going to be some kind of purpose for you being here. What are you doing? Are you living your purpose? Are you respecting and paying homage and honor to your higher self? Uh, bad feelings are good and good feelings are good. Uh, we can't just have good. There's a dichotomy with good. You can only feel good if you know what bad feels like. You don't know what hot is if you've never experienced cold. You can't describe day uh, if you've never, if you don't know what night is. These two things, they're the yin and yang. They require each other. And they both have to be there. You have to have the good with the bad in order to have the whole. If you're just seeking half, you're going to miss out on the whole. 
you're going to miss out on the whole experience. You're only going to get a fraction. You're only going to get a portion. You're essentially missing out when you're avoiding bad and seeking good. Mm, There's a word I use. I use I use the word because because we're always on the hunt to seek good. If I do this, 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 then I'm doing everything right. Then I should be able to get good. It doesn't work that way. Life is always going to have some kind of a mix. And it's my opinion that we can feel fulfilled and good simultaneously. Also, we can feel fulfilled and bad simultaneously. Life can be both bad and good. Uh, And in fact, in order to uh, experience fulfillment, we need to appreciate, uh, welcome, both bad and good. Mm. Well, thank you so much. Um, I really hope that this conversation helped you guys interrupt some of these uh, patterns of holding on to something that's not serving you. And, you know, the last thing that that all this comes back down to um, how I've seen exercise be such a exercise movement in all its forms. It is all good. It's all about perspective, just like what you just said. It's mm-hmm. that, you know, um, and the, and, and the more like skillfully we use these things, the more they become tools and not baggage. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yes. They become lessons instead of hindrances. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. That, yeah, that's my bag of chips right there. I love it. I love all that in the bag of chips. <laughs> all right. Well, I will make sure to tell people where to find you. And okay, um, yeah, I can't wait to get this out. Thank you so okay. much. All right. Thanks. I'm looking forward to more. All right. Yeah, definitely. All right. Bye. <laughs> See ya. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Please head on over to thinkfitbefitpodcast.com to sign up for the newsletter. Also, I would love it to receive your review on iTunes. We can make this such a big podcast. The quality is there. The knowledge is there. The honesty is there. But we're looking for that connection, guys. So let us know what what is important to you about the stuff that you're learning. Let us know more about how you're integrating this this stuff um, into your exercise on a review on iTunes. It would mean the world to us. So that, like I said, this episode was really special. I think a anytime that I can dive into the subconscious, the unconscious mind, and make a connection to my health and my purpose and be able to share that with confidence with you guys um, is really uh, one of my missions. So this is uh, this this episode was obviously very special. Please uh, give us a follow on Instagram at thinkfitbefit underscore podcast. Uh, we're the same on Facebook. And I'm on Instagram at Jennifer underscore Simone underscore Schwartz. I'm posting all the time and giving you my insights into self-care and strength training and my practice of muscle activation techniques in Virginia. 
And um, that's a wrap, guys. Thank you so much. And I look forward to hearing from you and, of course, reading your reviews.